If you're interested in Dr. Freddie Starr's neurofeedback training and would like to either do one of his vacation packages or to use the home brain training kit, I have a coupon code for 15% off and the code is biohacker. You can use that when you contact him on the telephone number or on the email, which I'll provide in the show notes. Welcome to Biohackers Lab, a place where we talk to smart people who are figuring out how to improve health in interesting ways. Join us to discover how you can biohack your life, your body, starting today. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Biohackers Lab. I'm your host, Gary Cohen, and on today's episode, I have Dr. Freddie Starr. Dr. Starr has been in the field of BCI, or um, brain-computer interface, since the early 1990s, and he obtained his medical degree in 1999 and is a trained psychiatrist. He opened his first practice um, utilizing brain scanning and neurofeedback back in 2003, and has since that time continued his uh, use of neurofeedback and brain scanning in the field of neurofeedback training. Dr. Starr, thank you so much for coming on to the episode today. Thanks for having me. So, um, so I butchered your um, introduction there a little bit. You've done way more than that. Uh, if you wouldn't mind just explaining, you've been in the field of brain scanning and neurofeedback even before you obtained your medical degree, isn't that true? Well, when I was an undergrad, yeah, I was uh, just happened to have the opportunity to work in a lab that was doing uh, seizure research and using computers. It was the size of a refrigerator, and we would wheel it, wheel it around on wheels to analyze maybe a couple channels of brain data. But back then, we were doing it, yeah. Okay. And so I guess you're my first neurofeedback um, brain specialist that I've had on the on the show. So I'm going to just um, have you, if you wouldn't mind, introduce people to what is neurofeedback training? Well, neurofeedback training is like exercise for the brain, to put it most simply. Um, we're able to use a computer that's like the machine that you would use in the gym. Um, and instead of your muscles training, you're training your brain. So you can hook your brain up to the computer. And because your brain speaks in a digital language, um, the computer can actually decode it and understand it and give you feedback to help you learn to retrain your brain waves to work in a more efficient pattern. Mm -hmm. So I guess this is what people are always trying to do when they meditate. They're trying to alter their, their state, their brain state, and you're just quantifying it and helping them find better states. So uh, the meditation has been one of the areas that I focused heavily on as far as, uh, you know, in the last, say, decade and a half in, in brain scanning and neurofeedback. Um, there are different ways to meditate, and there's actually, to me, I see it as different physical positions you put your brain in when you meditate. So, you know, just under the rubric of that, it's a little different than meditation because I don't know what your brain is doing when you close your eyes and meditate. This would actually help your brain reach a state of meditation or, you know, that kind of balanced, equanimous state uh, easier and faster, especially if there's some kind of damage like a head injury. Okay. And so what you're looking at are different brain waves because um, I, I guess maybe a lot of people might have heard of alpha or beta. Yeah. Um, that is, that's what you're, you're looking at when you're looking at someone's brain, is it? So the, um, the the yeah they're 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 called frequencies. Um, these are these are um, different brain waves that uh, span like a frequency. A frequency is a speed of a brain wave, so or a speed of any wave. And the slowest waves that we look at with the brain 
are called delta waves. I like to call I like to call it dreamy delta waves because when people are sleeping, they make a lot of delta waves. So if some a person has too many delta waves in an, in say the frontal lobe of their brain, they're going to feel dreamy. So they're like delta dreamers. The next one, the next brain wave that is grouped is called theta or theta. And uh, when you have, say, too much theta, you uh, are they tend to be maybe um, more inattentive, have difficulty getting things done. Um, you may have some lassitude and just really be a couch potato. So I you know, think it's easy to remember theta, theta, couch potato. Um, alpha is a brainwave of consciousness. It is the predominant brainwave when your eyes are open, and it occupies about 8 to 12 hertz. Um, people who have problems with alpha can be very spacey. Um, they, they're, they're, they might switch from different topics. They might have trouble focusing or concentrating. So um, alpha is kind of like moon, moon unit alpha. Kind of like people are out in space a little bit is how I remember that one. Um, alpha is also associated with mood. So it's pretty common if you see alpha um, where it's imbalanced, you can see depression. And that's fairly clear to see on the EEG, the QEEG, which you, I can get to in a moment. And um, the um, beta waves are the faster waves. And when people have too many beta waves, they're like buzzing in their in their head. They're anxious, nervous, um, uh, tend, they can be irritable or angry, so they're they're beta buzzers or buzzing beta. So the, the it's a way that I can remember these brain waves that go from slow to fast. Okay, yeah, that'll be great because um, I think that as a consumer, that's t- probably typically what we get told. You know, those the brain wave activities, and I know you look at things in a lot more detail. Um, so, so when you mentioned there QEEG, is, is there a is there a sort of a difference then in the neurofeedback training world? Yes. Uh, so EEG stands for electroencephalogram. That that electroencephalogram has been in use to study the brain since uh, 1930s um, when it was uh, actually first invented to try to look at extrasensory perception and mental telepathy. Um, since then, people have applied various, you know, uh, mathematical techniques to the Q, to the EEG. Um, looking at it from a statistical standpoint, it's called, you put the Q there. You call it quantitative EEG. And all that is, is taking the EEG and looking at the different frequencies, uh, and how much voltage or how much electricity they're making at any given area. So you can tell if an area is either overworking or underworking when you look at a QEEG and it, it shows you colors of if, it's, if the activity is too high or too low or too fast or too slow. It can show you if there's um, abnormal connections between areas, so if the brain is not communicating with its other parts as well. And you can turn it into three dimensions and be able to tell where exactly within a couple millimeters of you know, a brain area where the problem is. And you can pinpoint that with neurofeedback training. Um, now, additionally, with the QEEG, you can start to apply some machine learning techniques and actually make quite a few de- deductions for prognosis, what, what somebody's outcome might be, maybe what disease states they might go on to have. So we're actually doing a lot more with the QEEG now than even five years ago. 
Okay, so it sounds like you're even using the QEEG not just for a diagnostic point of view to see live, you're actually trying to use it as a predictive model too, to say, okay, your pattern that we're picking up here is saying that you might end up in, uh, as a particular mental state is that is that what I yeah yeah exactly so for so in my case in so in my case i developed and patented a machine learning eeg program and based on my practice now i've amassed something like 20,000 scans with associated data that i load into the program and um the program's called ANA, Advanced Neural Network Analysis. So uh, if I refer to Anna or her, that's what I'm referring to. Um, so she will, she's now fairly good at picking out Alzheimer's potentially in the future. Um, based on literature, there's quite a bit of literature out there, so you can start to see that in the brain. Uh, recently, she um, had the uh, diagnosis of um, Lou Gehrig's ALS that myself, I missed on the scan and uh, the um, doctors also didn't get and we also had somebody with a left frontal tumor that was she recommended mri wow okay this that is awesome because um one of my previous guests um amy burger she was talking about alzheimer's and in that we were we were mentioning how how hard it can be to to pick up a neurodegenerative disease until it's quite far advanced and that some people are having to do pet scans or um, to me, this is even sounding like functional MRI where you're trying to light up different parts of the brain and then get a clinical picture out of it. And that sounds really cool that you can put these electrodes on and then plug it into your algorithm and it's already giving you some sort of clinical direction as well Correct. which way to go. And uh, so this is, that's what you refer to when you're talking about brain scanning is, is your QEEG um, sensory. Well, that's, that's what I'm, I am speaking of. Um, but you you've mentioned a number of other different kinds of scans uh, and if you don't i would touch on them if you want me to yeah sure uh, pet, pet scan is positron emission tomography um and that's looking at metabolic rate of the cell so we're at we're we're working on the the order of you know chemical reactions so you know the it's a it's a little bit slower with regards to discrimination and seeing things in real time um spect scan um, which is uh, what many people know uh, is done by the Amen group, is invasive. So you have to use a radioactive label. You have to actually put something in the body. And it doesn't necessarily give you any idea for outcome other than supplementation. Uh, and they're pretty costly. Um, a QEEG is looking at the brain um, on the order of milliseconds. And uh, there are textbooks the size of phone books that, go through QEEG matching with fMRI, matching with PET. Um, this has been determined in federal court in the United States, and numerous other courts have upheld QEEG as being comparable. So you get a pretty good picture. Um, but the thing about QEEG is we charge $100 a scan. I mean, it's, it's very inexpensive. It's, it's easy um, in that all you do maybe is get messy hair with gel, um, it doesn't hurt. There's not, you're not putting any quantity of energy in the body, so it's not modifying anything. And so, you know, the other ones have their place and their validity, but so does QEEG. So when I'm talking about a brain scan, that, that's usually what I'm referring to is QEEG. Yeah. Okay. And, um, so for me, I've, 
I, I have an interest in Neurofeedback because um, I've been to some of the biohacking conferences and they have devices there to, I mean, people are taking all kinds of supplements and things to change their brain waves because that's what biohackers are all about is, is trying to get optimal brain function, optimal physical function. Um, but brain really interests me and that's why I actually got into the biohacking world. And so I'm interested then with the neurofeedback training that consumers might think of at the moment. Um, so I can think of devices like the Muse that you put on your head and you listen to sounds and you try control the sounds. That's a form of neurofeedback training, is it? It, it is the principle of neurofeedback training. Okay. Uh, I have, um, I've used, I have, a, I have a bunch of Muses. Um, I don't, I, you know, I, I call them a toy. Um, I don't believe that they have, uh, I, I don't, I, I think that often in an amateur's hands, you're not getting clear signal. Um, it's very difficult to eliminate artifacts. So movements, eye blinks, everything affects them so much. They don't have great filtering or shielding. So even me in my office that's, you know, has a shielding and I check for electromagnetic frequencies that are could be coming and everything, I still have trouble getting real clear, good signal with the muse. So um, I think that the principles there, I'm glad they're out there getting into public perception. But honestly, I think that maybe people are better off saving their money. Okay. And then that's where what you're doing now clinically just takes it to a whole new level. If you would, So if you wouldn't mind just explaining then um, to someone who is interested in the world of neurofeedback or has already started going down that route and they've got some of these devices. Um, so what, what, how does your system work then that you do to help alter the brain? What, what would it be like for a patient or a client coming to you? So, uh, for me, well, when you say coming to me, I'm not in the really position where I'm, I'm putting caps on people are seeing them individually now. So I have a company that services uh, physicians offices around the world. Okay. We're in Hong Kong, the UK, US, and they are the ones getting the scan. So you would go into the doctor's office and right now in the US, they're requiring at least in seven different practices that we work with that everybody over the age of 40 should have a baseline brain scan. So uh, they're coming in, they're having their work up. Um, and if it's warranted, they're then going for the EEG where they just put a cap on their head. It's like a shower cap and it their gel gets squirted into each sensors, and then we record the brain waves for three minutes in the eyes closed, three minutes with your eyes open, and then that gets sent to us where we analyze it and then produce reports. Okay. And um, who are the kind of people that can benefit then from neurofeedback? It, you don't have to have a diagnose, di diagnose sort of uh, mental um, diagnosis uh, condition. You, if, even if you're just wanting to get more out of your system or manage your stress levels better, you, you could still benefit from neurofeedback training. Yes. Um, you know, the mental disorders have come about through observation. They're, right, they're phenotypic. They're things that we see in people's behavior that really come out of statistics of monitoring people and deciding what's normal and what's not normal. Uh, and, I mean, you know, we can we could have an in-depth discussion about some of the original assumptions of that research that actually comes out of the UK. Um, Katie Lang was the pioneer of that. But uh, the um, QEEG in neuroscience now um, is doesn't doesn't the brain doesn't say it's depressed. I mean, <laughs> it doesn't you know, you feel depressed, but and, and, and there's some signature in the brain that might 
be associated with mood problems, but there's no depression area, you know? So, um, you know, it's hard to mix the two. So when I, I'm thinking about people doing neurofeedback, everybody's doing performance training. Um, so yes, no matter where you are in life, I mean, when people ask me, who do you think is the best candidate for this? I'm like people with a brain. Um, for me, uh, the conditions that we see a great deal of or that I find that what we do uh, lends itself best to is peak performance training to improve attention, to improve reaction time, uh, to, say, decrease stage fright. We've worked with many uh, actors um, in that area. Um, also, uh, sleep and mood and attention and memory. So wherever you are on the spectrum, yes, you can improve that. I've even seen people now kind of going even further than what one would assume would be, you know, within normal limits and say increasing an area um, beyond what would be normal, but it's it, it renders a beneficial trait. So, um, and you have biohackers, I can be specific, I'm talking about increasing posterior alpha, I'm talking about raising 12 hertz, 12 to 15 hertz at C3 or C4, um, decreasing intrahemispheric coherence posterior, something like that. And you'd pick all of that up that in your, bra- in your initial brain scan that you'd want to alter certain places? Yes. So that, got, that also gets me thinking then. Um, that with that's why um, you would need someone with a bit more clinical knowledge when it comes to this because you are able to manipulate the brain then. And if you can manipulate it in a positive direction, do you believe you could manipulate it, it in a negative direction too and get a and get a unwanted outcome? I've seen it happen. So I see oftentimes people will come to me after say having a failure somewhere or send me a brain scan and say, what do you think of this or, or whatever. And I'm often, I'm, I'm not surprised anymore, but you see a lot of stuff out there that uh, clinicians aren't necessarily properly trained. Okay. Um, Cause I've, I've, I heard with a bit of the, the history behind neurofeedback training, what was fascinating was um, that the, the technology was, was first used to control seizures, was it? Yeah, yeah. So that's that's actually yeah. Uh, in the nineteen uh, late nineteen fifties, NASA was uh, working. I think it was on the Mercury space program, and uh, it, it, they were noticing that some of the workers were having seizures around the rocket fuel vapor fumes. Uh, some were not, and so by studying the differences in the people's brains, they noticed that the workers that had naturally high levels of a brain frequency called SMR, sensory motor rhythm, which is 12 to 15 hertz across the sensory motor strip between the ears, people who have higher levels of that tend to be able to ward off seizures. And uh, so they uh, uh, gave a grant to a doctor by the name of Dr. Barry Sturman in, uh, in California who applied the technique to cats, of, uh, who applied the work of B.F. Skinner, operant conditioning, to cats to see if he could train them to increase their SMR, sensory motor rhythm, in their brain. And he found that they, he could. He could train these cats to increase their SMR. And they had less seizures. So they then applied the technique to the workers and they found, lo and behold, the workers were able to work with massive amounts of rocket fuel vapors around them. Um, 
And, uh, and also it proves that you can't train a cat. Um, so uh, then, then that work went on to be used with some very severe epilepsy cases. And the literature is, is pretty remarkable over decades and decades and decades, a uh, lot of papers. Um, so, so uh, yes, neurofeedback is a, is a useful application for uh, epilepsy and seizures. And because um, I've had um, a guest on before, Emma Williams from the UK with Matthew's friends, and that was talking about using the ketogenic diet to help manage epileptic symptoms. Um, this, uh, with neurofeedback training, is it, um, do you know if it's been actively used to help epileptic patients too? Neurofeedback? Yeah. 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 Oh, so actively. Absolutely. Um, I, I am not, not advertising myself as an expert in, in epilepsy and neurofeedback. Uh, I don't, you know, it's one of the ones that to me, it's a little bit close to home and it's difficult to treat, but I know some, I know many experts who, uh, really have incredible results with, with tragic cases. I mean, it's a terrible disease and, um, especially when you can't control it with medication. So the fact that this can, and, uh, you really do see uh, quite a reduction um, in seizure frequency um, and generalization of epilepsy. It seems to me it doesn't make sense why it wouldn't be used kind of first line, at least yeah. along with meds. Yeah, yeah, I, I can see sort of like a, a positive cumulative effect. So you could, from a dietary perspective, you, you're feeding the brain and the neurology in one sense, but then you're using this technology, um, and hopefully it all comes up, uh, just adds upon each other to help you control. Well, that's the first thing. I've recommended ketogenic diet twice this week uh, to two individuals who contacted me with seizures. Um, uh, high, dose fat oil, uh, high dose fish oil, um, uh, magnesium, uh, uh, hardcore ketogenic diet, neurofeedback, um, yeah, yeah, even CBD, um, you know, uh, cannabis oil, mm -hmm. um, all, all can help. Yeah, because uh, before we came on the show, you were telling me that you're um, you're doing some research at the moment, aren't you, with that? Yes, uh, I'm doing a, a project with a group that does um, uh, marijuana for trauma in veterans, so uh, individuals that have post-traumatic stress disorder, uh, and they are a, uh, a day clinic where they have art therapy and uh, they have uh, come in and they have group therapy and they also... Um, are given uh, medical marijuana uh, as part of you know uh, their program, so it's a pretty structured program. And what we're doing is studying the brain effects of it, quantifying that, so seeing what types of different strains and different uh, you know concentrations uh, will have uh, the effect on an individual's brain, so we can tailor the uh, you know. Uh, what they when they come in, they can get a brain scan, and the machine can say you would best be suited for X Y Z type of marijuana rather than another kind, and maybe we can lessen some of the negative responses, and also weed out some of the people that aren't good candidates, and and they are there are some. Mm -hmm. And again, I just love that idea that you're able to sort of use a predictive test that is. Um Sort of non-harming, as you said, because you're not getting ionized, you're not getting exposed to x-rays and having to take anything that can damage you, but you're already sort of pre-predicting, look, you take this chemical, you might not get the response as you expected, so just be aware of that. And I love that idea that uh, you, you, can, you can use your neurofeedback training to be able to, or the, the QEEG to be able to do that. That's, I love that. 
does it, I mean, if you're doing that with medical marijuana, do you have you found when people think about taking brain supplements that that might be another way that you because nootropics is a is a word, and I'm just already thinking now just off the top of my head that you could have a brain scan and you might and I don't know if you found that. This is why in the nootropic forums, people go, oh, I took something and I didn't feel anything. And someone else takes something and they go, wow, what a massive effect I got. And this is, a, and you're using your system that while well, the QEEG system is, is going, well, maybe this is a way to quantify, you know, what brain supplements work best for certain individuals. Anybody out there with a supplement company wants to contact me and develop some questionnaire and get some brain scans, uh, I'm up for it, of well, course. I think I can already put you in contact with some uh, nootropic co- supplement company people. Yeah, yeah. Um, it, it's it, to me that you're talking about stuff that I. I mean, it's like it's it's obvious. Yeah, um, you do question. You know, if you have enough people with enough results, you get a physiologic. You know, it's, it's a physiologic test with parameters, and you just have to have an end the China. Hmm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, with now with using computers, it's just so much easier. I mean, before I would have to remember, you know, I mean, I'm, I'm making myself obsolete, unfortunately. I had to remember what, you know, Alzheimer's looks like. I have to remember what ADD, there's six different types of attention, you know, that can manifest as attention deficit disorder on a QEG. You know, maybe even more, maybe, you know, I'm sure there are, but, uh, you know, there's basic types. And so there's so many different subtypes and, and so many different waves and everything that it takes decades to really start to, be able to see the EEG where it speaks to you. I mean, it takes a long time to be looking at those squiggles. <laughs> yeah, it's a little bit uh, like other imaging studies, or ultrasound or other scans, and it takes a while to actually understand what is this picture actually saying to us right here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, now I think I have mirror neurons for EEG. So when I see somebody's EEG and it's in distress, I feel bad. I mean, it's like, you know, it's like seeing a friend and they're not, you know, they don't, their, their voice is down, you know, they don't look good. They, they you know, they, he looks like that to me. It can be a sad song. It can be a happy song. <laughs> and what I love about when I was doing my research on it is that you, when you were talking earlier about that um, SMR and yeah. how you could actually train it. it. So what we're talking about here, because we're, you, you're using the word training. And so you're actually using the device to train yourself, but that you'll actually get to a stage that you'll be able to feel that state. And so it's not so this will be a question that would come up where people would say, well, how many times do I have to use it? Or do I have to keep using it for the rest of my life? Or would I have to use it every day to get a a benefit out of using neurofeedback training? But I, you know, of course it's going to be a spectrum where you are and what condition and what you're trying to treat. But at the end of the day, I loved it that you're actually, you're training yourself to end up feeling the state and you would, and you'll be able to try get yourself into that place without actually needing a device on your head. So, uh, is something that, um, I mean, most people who are healthy, say between, uh, you know, 16 and 65, uh, a pretty stable brain. And uh, when they do neurofeedback, it, it should stay, I mean, at least six months, even a year to where they might, maybe they'll need boosters. But yeah, you, once you get that feeling state in your brain, you can feel it. I mean, if you know now, I mean, you can when you have too much delta in your brain, you can feel when you have too much high beta. You actually, I, I, I encourage people to learn to feel their brains. I think we're not taught to, and, and you can. Mm. Yeah, I guess one way pe- people listening might feel is you sort of know when you're hyper, and you're you can feel that state when you're when you're a little bit hyper. Or would you say even as like a state of brain fog? 
that when you just feel dozy and confused or you're not completely with it? Well, you know, you might be in too much delta, like a dreamy delta or a theta couch potato, one of the two. But when you feel like that, you know, um, I mean, I, I might even say that to people that know me. You know, I feel like I've got too much theta in my brain. Um, but, yeah, you have days like that and you can absolutely learn to mount different brain waves or I call them positions. Um, but you can put your brain into different electrical postures or positions um, at will once you learn how. So would this alter your personality? No. So. You still think you're – well, you still think you're you. I don't know. That's one of the things I'm always I, – I have gone, um, you know, and thought about that quite a bit. Uh, I can tell you the, a case that I remember where I started thinking about this. Uh, this was an older man. Um, he was in his 50s. He still lived at home with his mother. Um, he had no ability to socialize. Um, I mean, was so, uh, you know, uh, had so much agoraphobia. I mean, he couldn't go to the bank and write a check in front of the teller because, you know, he would start shaking and stuttering. Has never, never had a job. Uh, he did uh, 50 sessions of neurofeedback. Uh, I think it was about four, 50 to 60. Um, and I didn't see him for a while because, you know, he went out to the clinicians and, you know, you, your patient goes and they do neurofeedback and then you see him back for scans. So I didn't see him for a while and he came back and his hair was kind of like, you know, slicked a little bit and he had different clothes. He had a job. He had a girlfriend. He had an apartment. And I'm talking to him like he, he to me, he looked like a completely different person. I said, do you think you're a different person? And he paused and thought about it. And he said, no, no, no. I still think I'm me. So there's a, there's a constant observer in there. This is one of the conclusions I've come to in doing, you know, umpteen thousand hours of this. Uh, there's, there, there's a constant observer. There's an eye. And that eye doesn't change. That's the way you can know you changed because there's a constant. So I, it depends on how we're defining personality. If, if, if you were on disability and now you're not on disability and now you're empowered, does that turn, does that change your personality? I guess, but I don't think it changes your core personality that you develop when you're up to three. No, I doubt it. Hmm. You still like chocolate ice cream. Yeah. I'm just thinking here when you were saying that where you take someone out of a dreamy state and more into uh, maybe a more conscious state, like you, you tend to get people who would, who would say they are just naturally dreamers or, you know, quite arty. Um, compared to your high-powered exec, and but what? So that might be a natural personality for them. But this, there's also times when people people can get stuck in the wrong state, right? So they can be stuck in in a too intense state where they're hyper focused, or there's people who can't actually click out of the overly dreamy state. And using neurofeedback, they're able to get themselves more in control. That variability is that control factor. Exactly. Exactly. So the brain should be flexible and move through different states. No brainwave is bad, but a brainwave in excess or a brainwave that is not is, is happening when it's not supposed to be happening is causing abnormality. So, so the example you're giving me here, I can think of another patient who, you know, had uh, a terrible thing happen to them and, you know, uh, are, they are uh, exceptionally, have been exceptionally fearful since, you know, very young. And they're a person who that's now their belief that it is part of their personality. So I am a shy person. I am this. Maybe the person is a shy person because they have, uh, you know, right frontal beta or high beta. And that social area, that social attention processing area doesn't, doesn't 
work properly. It doesn't relax. It's always in a threat response for whatever reason, um, by environment, by birth, by injury. Um, and uh, that's then they believe that's them and that's not them. So in that case, maybe it helps people be more of who they are. Um, I, let me just add here, the quant so with the quantitative EEG, we can quantify it, but then what, what does that mean? What it means is we're comparing it to a database of other brains. And in general, what we mean by other brains, we mean normal. And by normal, we mean a statistical term. Somebody that people that fall within one standard deviation of a derived mean. Now, how did they get that? Well, they got that by by following people for two years and children, adults, all around the world. And what's been developed through that is the understanding that there is an optimal operating tolerance for the electrical organ we call the brain. It, you are not your brain. It is just an organ of self-regulation in your body. It should know how you know how to control your heartbeat, how to deal with digestion, how to deal with your breathing rate, and how to move your hands, all of these things, the summation of the mega pattern that gives you your current state. So, the, so when we're talking about the brain not working properly or working or working inefficiently, it means it's not letting you be in a proper state in a proper place and time. Mm-hmm. And and we and do you think then a lot of adults end up in that state too just from chronic stress does that you know it's funny um i live in a third world country i have for for almost 10 years now i mean it's a developing country actually i don't even think it is but that's what many people in what they would call the first world call it as but so i'm just trying to relate but um you know the people I see, I, I have lived and you see great disparage, uh, disparity in, in wealth. And, and, you know, I find that the people that don't have the cell phones and don't have all the stuff and live around their family and live on land and everything like that, they don't have all this modern conveniences that cause all this stress. But anyway, in the modern world, uh, you know, uh, the this on-the-go thing that everybody seems to be doing where they have continuous partial attention because one hand is on the phone, you know, and one's driving or doing whatever, I think is really damaging uh, for the brain. I think it's really causing the brain not to be able to see kind of a level self-regulatory pattern. So, uh, you know, with regards to stress, uh, you know, it's how the brain is dealing with stress and telling the body what to do. Um, And this can kind of increase the ceiling there. That's how I see it is by getting the brain to work in more of this optimal pattern that is you know, for the specific state, then there's more room to deal with being late or traffic or, you know, bigger things. It's that tolerance factor where I, I always imagine, imagine it like that, like a bucket and that if you've already filled the bucket close to the brim, you know, someone honks their, their car and that it spills over. You had no tolerance to accept that. And what you're talking about is that, yeah, if you're, if you're able to electrically vary it down, that, yeah, you, you'll be able to go into a more uh, busy environment, but it's not going to overstimulate you into a stress res- uh, abnormal stress response where you overreact maybe. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And the, um, the, you know, somebody might naturally say, I mean, in the, many people have, uh, head injuries and don't know. Uh, I would go as far as to say that, uh, it's half of the population that I see who have failed a psychiatric med. Uh, 
So if somebody comes to see me for neurofeedback and they've already been to the psychiatrist and they've already been on one and two meds and they haven't worked, I'd say the population is probably 50-50 head injury. And they often don't remember because they're, they're, they bump their head. And part of that is remembering, right? You have amnesia. Mm. So uh, they have to think about it. Oftentimes, I'll insist. I've had people come back to me a year later. You know, adult, there's a man who runs a big company, CEO of a big company, and he had a brain scan. And I told him, I said, this is clearly a head injury. It wasn't until a year later that he, he called me and he said, you know, I remember. You're right. You were right. right? I said, I know I was right. Um, so the point I'm making here is that if you bump your head, say, and it goes into a slow rhythm, then that area of the brain is, is now not going to be processing with the rest of the brain. It's not going to keep up with its neighbors. If that area happens to be in an area that deals with stress, then it's not going to keep up with being able to deal with that, that stress. So the stress is going to be felt as higher, you know? to the person because the brain now is responding to a threat because it knows it's not working on all channels. Mm. So by balancing the brain there, you're able to, um, again, increase that ceiling. And so I don't think we've, we've touched on with neurofeedback training. What, what actually happens? Are you sending electricity into the brain or is it auditory is it coming through uh, sounds in the ears is it visual like how are you actually getting a new stimulus to change the brainwave activity into the brain so in my field right now there are sort of a, a two emerging or or um you know, fields that are uh, neuroregulation and neurofeedback, or neuro, excuse me, neuromodulation and neurofeedback. When you refer to neuromodulation, you're actually putting energy into the head. So like a small voltage, you can use magnetic current or magnets or, or small, low voltage electricity. I don't do that. Uh, I like the pure technique of neurofeedback using the brain and the person to to help themselves. I mean, so in neurofeedback, it's completely passive. All you do is put a cap on your head Feedback can be in the form of, say, a video where it goes, it turns off and on in response to the brain waves. When you're, if you're learning to pay attention, then when you, when your brain goes, attention, attention, the movie plays. Um, but it could be you're, you're treating for depression. So when you feel sad, the movie stops playing. Um, but this is happening on the order of, say, for every 400 milliseconds. So the learning process is unconscious. It's not like you sit there and the movie plays and then it stops playing. You watch it and it goes off and on, off and on, off and on. And, and you don't, at the beginning, really understand what, what it's doing, why it's doing that, but your brain eventually learns and figures it out, yeah, that's which, is the, which is operating conditioning. Yeah, so that's what I found fascinating. So you're, you're using, in this case, a, a visual stimulus that's so coming through your eyes, and it's just the, the image that you're watching is breaking, but your brain understands that's an abnormal response and that it needs to change its, its brainwave activity. Well, it starts to notice that it works more efficiently when the movie is playing. Goes, oh, look, we're uh, humans are. Well, I think probably biological systems want to occupy the lowest word that we put on it. If I told you to get me a glass of water and you went and you know did three circles, went out, dr climbed a ladder down the window, went around the house a couple times. Um, and went to the sink and then brought me water. And I said, why did you do that? You could have just walked through the door and get me the water. You would never do it the other way again once I showed you the proper, efficient, easy way. Same with the brain. Once it, it, you know, Chiropractic, I think, is somewhat similar. It can teach the spine how to get into a, a more optimal pattern. You know, 
Um, one of the only other things I can find that really works on directly on the central nervous system, by the way, um, like neural feedback, uh, it gets the brain into a more efficient, relaxed pattern. And it likes it. It's, it's a better state for it. So once it goes there, it says, oh, I like this. And it goes more in that direction. So the clinician makes the computer make the brain work harder by setting a different threshold. So now the brain has to, now it was getting, it was able to get the reward at say 10. And now it's, you know, you set the number to eight. Now it has to get it lower. I'm referring to Z-scores. Okay. So, and so that's what would happen in the training program is that um, you would actually change the point, how hard it is to get that reward. You would actually how, sort of try, make it harder and harder so the brain actually gets more, trying to get more efficient to get exactly. to that state. Exactly. So you start kind of just below where it is. And we're training waves. Sometimes waves are up and sometimes they're down. So what we're doing is we're trying to, to catch it at the optimal pattern. So, so somebody's waves are too high. Somebody has too much high beta, right? So what happens is the waves are going up and down and we set a, a line on the computer, you know, to say, okay, when they go below uh, 3.5 microvolts, trigger a reward. So it's, so then let's say the reward now is happening 50% of the time the clinician can see, okay, one minute happened, they got, they got uh, 30 rewards. So now, Three minutes go goes by and they got 40 rewards, 50 rewards, right? So the, the reward has climbed up and up. If we were to just leave it, theoretically, the brain would get it to a point of just playing continuously. But that's called watching TV, right? That's not brain training. It's actually probably the opposite. I think I'd call it programming. Um, but the brain training is, uh, so it has to be made more and more and more difficult each time the brain sort of learns the pattern that's being asked or again it gets lazy and just stays where 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 it's at and and uh we're getting to the, like the world of neuroplasticity here where you're actually getting the neurons to fire differently and i wonder i'm wondering here if you get like different myelination um i don't know ne neuronal growth with what what you're doing there well i would i would say undoubtedly um you know, if you are you familiar with the um, in the meditation world, the study that Harvard did with fMRIs, eight weeks from um, people that had never meditated before in their lives, and then they did meditation for eight weeks, and they showed hippocampal volume increases. Wow! Uh, increase in in connectivity. This is you know, people are listening. To this they're going to Google it right now. Harvard meditation study. Yeah. Um, but it's like it'll come up. It comes up in the Harvard Gazette now. Um, so so we know that happens. Um, again, uh, trauma. Right. We see decreased hippocampal volume in people who have had trauma. Right. So we know that things affect brain. You know, we, we know that we can damage things and, and lose volume. And now it's it's been shown. Oh, the London taxi driver study is another one. Mm. Right. Right. Um, so, uh, yeah, I, yeah, there was a study by Monastra in uh, the mid 2000s. So it was 2004, I think, 2005. But they looked at children with ADHD. They gave a group. It was 50 in the in one on both children meds, but they gave only one group neurofeedback. And I'm sorry if I'm butchering this. It's been over a decade. Um, and the uh, group that uh, had the neurofeedback after year one, they, they took them both off meds, scanned both groups' brains, and they found actual differences trending towards normalization in the group that had the neurofeedback. 
I don't think it was fMRI though. I think it was QEG, but it might have been MRI. I'm have to after this, I'm gonna have to go look again. <laughs> Okay. Um, well, we're coming up to our time. I know I've, I've, I've got to uh, let you go. Um, but um, before we do that, I just want to find out. So we, I, I think we've got a good general overview of what neurofeedback training is, how it works. Um, but if you would say then like I, some, some other conditions I can think of if someone's thinking, should they try it? As you said, actually, most people should try just even get a brain scan would be step number one. And it, it is available in the U.S. to be able to do that, you said. It, so is it that you could how, – how, if, if someone's listening right now and they're in the U.S., how would they get go about just having a general brain scan, that $100 scan? Well, they can contact us at uh, um, remoteneurofeedbacksolutions.com. Okay. And then that you'll be able to connect them to a facility that would be able to do that. Yes, and we also have the ability to send them a scanner and have it at home. Um, it's not a hundred dollars to do it that way, okay. but it's fairly re- fairly reasonable. All right, um, it's right around three hundred dollars. So uh, it can be done if they're near one of our facilities, and we have facilities on both coasts um, in uh, New York and Boston and California. Um, and you had just kind of asked a question there, touched on it. And I wanted to say, yeah, you know, I think that anyone out there who has been suffering for a long time with psychiatric medical or neuropsychiatric problems and has gone a traditional route, um, and has not had relief, to me, it makes no good sense why they wouldn't try this. Um, because it is non-invasive and the risks are very low and the potential benefit is relief, um, decrease in symptoms. So, uh, you know, I don't particularly, I haven't found great applications with schizophrenia. Um, I haven't found a, and, and, but there are people that would disagree with me. Um, Bipolar is another one, um, but, but a lot of people seem to be diagnosed with that and, and they don't know why. So people with it should have scans um, because it could be manifesting from an injury. Um, and in that case, it's very treatable. Um, PTSD is a big application for it. And the average number of sessions is about 20 that people need. Um, you know, it depends on the condition. Some people are rapid responders. I have seen people respond in five sessions, um, 10. But generally, 20 is the average. And then, you know, people who maybe are older have had conditions longer, severity, um, you know, they can go up as high as 40. Um, conditions like autism, you're looking more in the higher numbers, like 80, but you still can get very good results with all, with all the core uh, symptoms of autism. Mm. So, so the, you know, the, the different applications are varied um, from peak performance to, you know, Alzheimer's. Um, and, and it really, it just depends on the individual. And that's why I think that before anyone does any neurofeedback, they need a, a QEEG that's been done and read by a medical professional or by somebody that really is trained in being able to read EEG, not someone that has a mail order degree. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that, so this sort of feeds back again as society now with health wearables um, and what I touched on earlier in the in the talk. That's only that market's only growing. So in, in a sense, here you could use the like the baseline scan to say. Like what, what state is your brain in? Like how hard do you need to work? Um, and wh- which direction should you focus your energy on more? Correct. And so in some cases you can tell, um, you know, there are, there are, apl- there are, there are scans that I can see where, and one that comes to mind is low alpha. Um, it's not a great, I mean, it's, you can increase it with 
neurofeedback, but it generally happens to do with the thalamocortical rhythms. And the, you know, I conceive that as coming from somewhere kind of elsewhere in the body. So the brain is not getting enough power. Why not? And so, you know, it might be a metabolic issue. And so in many cases, I'll see the scan and I'll say, go back and do X, Y, Z. And then let's come back and get a scan in three months and see how your brain looks. And then maybe Maybe the picture will be different, but but generalized low power, global low power, where you look at a brain, it's just blue, you know, all over. It, you know, it's hard to treat that. It's hard to bring that that up in the brain. And so, in general, they might need some kind of better diet, keto diet, you know, or, or um, some kind of supplementation before neurofeedback might be effective. So I'm wondering, um, anyone who's going to do this scan now, um, it's a little bit um, like cholesterol testing and. You know, that, that can be very dramatically just by, I had Dave Feldman, a biohacker with cholesterol, and he showed, you know, what you ate three days before your test made a dramatic difference to the, to the blood test. Would you say there's something that people should be aware of to get them the best baseline test? Like if you want them to do the best brain baseline test, is it in the morning? Is it in the evening? Um, do they need to abstain from something? So I don't know if you do, if you do already give those hints or guidance when you send a kid out, but um, is there anything you would recommend just so that someone actually gets the best scan to know what what's actually going on? Yeah. Uh, so don't drink alcohol. And benzodiazepines also can have uh, fairly um, profound. You know, a good QEG, a person that's experienced and able to read the QEG can read around around just about most things uh, and still get an idea. Um, but you want to get somebody in their state of being. Uh, people often ask, does meal, does the food I have interfere? Does the, um, I'm anxious today, I'm nervous today. Um, you know, it's a statistical test. And so, hey, the more QEG somebody has, I mean, the more, the, you know, more valid the findings are. Um, and uh, the, so the first one is just always, you know, kind of, uh, for me, it's not a, an absolute fortune. You know, I didn't just tell the person's fortune. I just, got the first scan mm. right and i can start to make some make some inferences uh, sometimes they're very very clear and sometimes they're not um the but but that being said because of the statistics and the robustness of the database um individual variations kind of in in how you feel that day or how nervous you are shouldn't have a profound effect on the qeg overall okay. when you see something three standard deviations out it really doesn't go, you know, usually, I mean, by definition, doesn't go down to say zero, you know, on the Z-score, it doesn't go straight back to the mean, right? If it's, if it's always out at three, right? Mm -hmm. It's usually at two or four, right? You understand what I'm saying with, with regards to how, to, you know, the fluctuation of the waves. Yeah. Um, uh, and so, so, you know, when you see, so, and you, so you don't want to overread them either. I mean, people will see a little tiny spot and they'll, they'll start, you know, making all these judgments about it. So that does come with seeing a lot of scans, um, dry hair. <laughs> but if somebody takes meds every day, they shouldn't stop their meds for the QEG. They should have them in the state they're in. Okay. Well, that's good tips. You know, that. you want to, it's, yeah. 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 Okay. Um, how can people learn more about you or about neurofeedback? Do you have any links that you would direct people to? Well, sure. As I had said, remote neurofeedback solutions um, or internationalneurofeedback.com. Um, 
these are that's our uh, business to business. So if anybody is in a clinic or they want to bring this into their clinic um, and have us assist them with everything from getting the equipment to the logistics to scans, protocols, even running the systems for them remotely, um, that's something we do quite quite a bit. Okay. So uh, that's you know how to reach me. I also do individual retreats in my home in Costa Rica, where you can learn to surf and do meditation with me, and um, you know all kinds of different treatments that we do there. Um, and that's neurofeedbackvacations.com. Yeah, so you've you've got a full spectrum of uh, availability. Then is what it sounds like for 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 people from clinicians to general consumer like me. Well, I dropped out of society in 2008, uh, went surfing, and people start hunting me down for my old practice and doing retreats with me. And I wanted to surf, and I liked doing neurofeedback, so they started surfing with me and doing neurofeedback. Then they went home, and they wanted to do neurofeedback at home. So I started sending them equipment. So I went from neurofeedback retreats to how do I get this in my practice, and so then I started running them in clinics, and now, now we have, uh, I think, something like we get about 1,000 scans a month. Oh, cool. Well, I hope I can do one one day. It sounds fascinating. Let let me know. Let us let us know. Yeah, Contact no, I, us. We'd be happy to. Yeah, no, I, I think it's important. You know, um, I've always said I, I, whenever I looked at a gym, you know, so people are working out their body, but there's never a section for the mind. <laughs> I always found that bamboozling thinking, so you go work your body physically, but your mind you need you need to allocate time or space where you work your mind and society doesn't seem to do that so well so that's no no and it's it's often somewhat amusing to me you know we have we use gel caps so we use a solution i have dry caps as well where we don't use um solution you know and some people will not be superior the 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 connection the picture the clarity um, having had tried them all, uh, the, the, but, but some people won't, you, even if I tell them you need this, it's, I mean, they don't want to mess up their hair. All right. Okay. So you say that, sorry, that our connections jumped a little bit at times. So you said the gel one, um, is the best one to go with. I, at this point in time. Yes. Okay. Cool. Yes. All right. Well, Freddie, thank you so much for coming on today and educating us. I mean, I could get you on and we could, I'm sure there's so many more other topics around this we can talk about. Um, but I'll let you go. But again, thank you so much for teaching us about neurofeedback training today. Well, it's been my pleasure to just even get the message out there that it is available and it really does work. 